Let's continue to learn about this God who is worthy of all our praise by looking to His very Word to us. If you will turn to Genesis chapter 41 this Lord's Day. If you're new to Bloomfield, we have been walking through the book of Genesis for some time now. And we're going to continue on today as we look at Genesis chapter 41 verses 37 through 57. Uh, We've come to a place in Genesis where we are looking to uh, the story of Joseph that is connected all the way back to Genesis in the beginning in creation where soon after creation when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and there was a consequence of that rebellion, of their sin, God promised a Redeemer would come. That that redemption would ultimately come through Jesus Himself. And between the fall in Genesis and redemption that comes through Christ, there's this story throughout the Scripture And this story follows a line that God is blessing and God is using for His glory. These different stories basically point towards the big story of redemption through Christ. And so as we look to Joseph's story today, the goal is not to to be more like Joseph. The goal is to see Jesus and to follow Jesus and to see the gospel in the life of Joseph. And I think this will be a very fitting sermon for us today because we... We come now to a point in Joseph's life where he has suffered greatly, and yet in the midst of his suffering, he has remained faithful. And he's now come to this point where uh, he has been imprisoned, and and years have gone by since he first set out to go find his brothers, and they sold him into slavery, and he was sold into Potiphar's house, and then put into prison, and now he's there at the service of Pharaoh, who wants him to interpret a dream, and he interprets it, and And Pharaoh is pleased with the interpretation. That's where we pick up today. And so as we read this, be mindful, be aware of of all that has taken place up to this point. And how we see God bringing all these things together for His purposes and His glory. Because this is the holy, inspired Word of God. If you're able, out of reverence for it, we ask you to stand as I read this passage for us. Genesis chapter 41, verses 37 through 57. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. He made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath Paneh, and he gave him in marriage to Azaneth, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt. And he put the food in the cities. And he put in every city the food from its fields around it. 
And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And then he called the name of the second Ephraim. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was so severe over all the earth. If you would, pray with me. Father God, help us as we look to Your Word today to learn from it, to see the Gospel in it. Lord, protect us from wandering minds from anxieties and worries and things that can distract us. Lord, help us to see the truth of the gospel in your word. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I believe Joseph's story is one that we need to be very attentive to because there's so much here for us to learn from. Joseph's story, as we've seen so far, is a, is a story of suffering. Uh, Joseph goes out at the age of 17 to, to run a chore and errand for his father. He instructs him to go and find his brothers and to inquire of them, check in on them. They're supposed to be with the, with the flock, with the herd, come back and give a report. We know from the Scripture he had done this before. He would had to bring bad reports back. We know from the Scripture that Joseph had been given visions and dreams by God of greatness. And as he shared those with his brothers, they were not pleased. They were jealous. It's only complicated then by him being the one who comes and gives a bad report about them. And so Joseph's brothers begin to, to hate him. And we see that hatred boil over when they see him coming towards them. This 17-year-old younger brother. And they say, we're going to kill him. Then one comes up with an alternate plan. No, let's, let's, let's put him in the pit and let's sell him as a slave and we'll benefit from it. And so that's what they do. That then takes Joseph to Egypt where God blesses him. And even as a slave, he has charge over the house of Potiphar who served Pharaoh. But it's there that he catches the eye of Potiphar's wife. And when she attempts to seduce him and he rejects, rejects her seduction, he's thrown into prison and wrongfully accused. And, and there again, Joseph finds himself in the pit. Then Joseph gets an opportunity, he thinks, to get out of the pit. He interprets a favorable interpretation for one, not so favorable for another, the cupbearer and the baker, and says to the cupbearer, listen, as these things come to pass, tell the Pharaoh about my plight, and he's forgotten. Until years later, when Pharaoh hears of Joseph, has these dreams, calls him forward, and now we get to this point where it seems like things are about to turn. But as they do, we can't forget what's happened. 13 years of suffering that we've seen in Joseph's life. And yet, Joseph's story is not just one of suffering. Joseph's story is one of faithfulness. At every crossroads, at every opportunity, he remains faithful. And friends, I think that's a story we need today because 
sadly for so many of us, when we suffer, whether that suffering may be small or may be great, we struggle to remain faithful. And so these pews around us today were once filled with different faces and different people. And some of them aren't here today because when they suffered, they weren't faithful. And when they suffered, they got angry at God. When calamity came in their life, they shook their fists towards heaven and they went the other way. And when they suffered, they decided, you know what? God didn't do what I wanted Him to do for me and I was doing all these things for Him and so that's fine. I'll just do this on my own. For so many, they're like a a former neighbor of mine when we lived in Bowling Green who, as I shared the gospel with him one day, he just looked at me and and with tears in his eyes said, "If, if you knew what had happened to me, if you'd experienced what I've experienced, you wouldn't want to have anything to do with God either. He saw his suffering, his pain, as cause then to reject God and reject the claims of God. And friends, that can happen so easily to us. It's easy to show up when you get the promotion. It's easy to say, thank you God, when you're in the end zone celebrating. It's easy when you're at the top to say, well, I just want to give thanks to God. It's a whole other thing when we're in the pit. When we're in the bottom. And yet God has put before us one in Joseph. Whose story is one of suffering. And one of faithfulness. And who calls us to question. How can we be faithful. In the midst of suffering. And how does the gospel call us. To faithfulness. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to spend most of our time. Looking at the first point there in your notes. And then the second two are essentially sub points of that. But we'll begin with this. Point one there in your notes. What we see in Joseph's story, what we see in God's word is that God's power is seen through the suffering of his people. And think of that statement for a moment. God's power is seen through the suffering of his people. That that is contrary to worldly opinion. That is contrary perhaps to what you've grown up believing You see, we tend to think about God's power in terms of these great and mighty acts He does. We tend to think about God's power being on display when we're celebrating in the end zone. We think about God's power being on display when we're at the top and we've got the awards and we're saying, well, I just want to thank God that that that's showing the world the power of God. But I believe what the Scripture would lead us to this morning is something very different. That we actually see a greater display of the power of God through God's people when they suffer and remain faithful in their suffering. We see this, for example, in Joseph. We've already recounted how Joseph has suffered greatly and how he's been abandoned in prison. And recent events have come because he made the interpretation of dreams for the cupbearer and the baker. And the cupbearer was told by Joseph, listen, when you get back to Pharaoh... When you get back to your position of trust with Pharaoh, would you just remember me? (laughs) Would you just tell him about my plight, about my situation? And yet when the cupbearer gets back to the Pharaoh and Pharaoh preserves his life, he forgets Joseph. And then in God's timing though, in God's economy, we see all this come together because Pharaoh has these dreams and these dreams, no one's able to interpret them. And then the cupbearer in God's timing says, okay, wait, I remember this guy, Joseph, this, this Hebrew slave. And so they clean him up, they bring him to the Pharaoh, and then he 
interprets these dreams for Pharaoh. And then the scripture tells us in verse 37 that his interpretation, his proposal, it pleased Pharaoh. Now think of that for a second. What, what did Joseph say to Pharaoh? Joseph said to Pharaoh, this is what God is telling you. Uh, for seven years, you're going to have prosperity. Now consider that in our modern context. If the head of a nation, our nation or any others, was to assemble before him a great council, and that council was to say, we have discerned the, the trends, we've looked around, we've seen what's going on, and we're here to tell you today, from what we see, for the next seven years, our nation's going to prosper. Well, I imagine that would please that leader. There'd probably be press conferences. There'd probably be news stories. Look at the great times that are coming. Pharaoh would have received this news by nature well. Prosperity. All right, let's do that. But that's not the only thing Joseph shares with Pharaoh, is it? He says following those seven years of prosperity are going to be seven years of such severe famine, this land has never seen anything like this. Now again, consider that in a modern context. Consider counsel being given to world leaders to say, well, there's going to be some prosperous years, but let me tell you, seven years of beyond uh, recession and depression are coming, and the bottom's going to fall out, and it's going to be terrible. I can imagine those news conferences would be a bit different. I can imagine most world leaders would say, well, we're going we're gonna to reinterpret the data here. We're going to take another look at that. Uh, that's just the other uh, political party trying to cast doubt on what we've done here. And, and nobody would probably own up to that. And yet in the Scripture here, God is the one giving the information. Pharaoh's the one receiving the information. And notice how Pharaoh responds. He says he's pleased. Well, why would Pharaoh be pleased to be told not just that his nation will prosper, but that his nation will suffer? I believe he's pleased because he sees this as the grace and mercy of God to warn him about the famine that is to come that he might be prepared for it. He sees this because he sees Joseph as God's man who has suffered greatly and yet in his suffering he sees God's power in his life. The scripture says Pharaoh recognizes that. He recognizes the spirit of God in Joseph's life. He recognizes God is the one revealing these things to Joseph. And then you notice this very name that he gives Joseph. Zephaneth Panay. A little bit of a mouthful there. I'm just going to guess in this room. I don't, I don't know if we have any Josephs. But probably in your family trees there's some Josephs here. By a show of hands, how many Zephaneth Panays do we have? Not many. Doesn't roll off the tongue quite as easy, does it? But, but there's some significance to this name. You see, Pharaoh, in naming him Zephaneth Panay, that, that name means God speaks and God lives. And that's a pretty good name. In fact, I think that's probably better than Joseph's original name. If you remember Joseph's original naming, uh, Joseph was in the midst of that big dysfunctional family feud where you've got uh, his mother, Rachel, and her sister, Leah, battling it out in this weird dysfunctional family where they're both married to the same man and their uh, legacy, their power, their prominence is based in how many children they have. And so they're willing to go to whatever measures they need to go to to provide children for Jacob. 
And so you've got Leah not being satisfied with just the children she has. She wants to give her servant to her husband so that he might have children through her. You've got Rachel, who up until that point was barren, couldn't have children, gives her servant to her husband to have children. And it's just this big mess. And then, towards the end of all that, God opens up Rachel's womb, and she has this boy, and she names him Joseph. And do you remember why? Do you remember what Joseph's name means? May the Lord add to me another son. Well, thanks, Mom. She, she looks at her boy and she says, Well, I hope I can have another. And not, not exactly what you want to see on the birth announcement. You know, we're, we're so pleased to announce the birth of our child and his name is... Better luck next time. I hope we can have another child. Rachel is so consumed with her own desires and wants and needs, that she might outbirth her sister, that she's not even considering the blessing that Joseph is in her life. And so you've got great irony, because here in Jacob, you've got this family of promise, this, this heir, this legacy that leads to Jesus himself, and their naming of their son is lacking and worldly and wanting. And then over here in Pharaoh, you've got one who is godless and he worships a plurality of gods but they're all false gods doesn't know the one true god and yet when joseph comes to him he recognizes he discerns he's from the one true god and what does he name him god speaks and god lives consider the timing of this joseph comes to pharaoh and joseph says seven years of prosperity are coming Seven years of famine are coming. Now, now what we might think, what might happen in our day and age, how we might plan this out, play this out, right? The story would be for Pharaoh to say, well, let's talk in 14 years. <laughs> Let, let's see how all this plays out. Let's listen to him. Let's give him a little leeway. Let's put him in charge of some stuff. We'll revisit this when the famine actually comes. And then we would picture Pharaoh 14 years later looking over to Joseph going, huh, you were right. Man, this God you serve, he's, he's the true God. Man, I'm going to give you a new name, Joseph. God speaks and God lives. But notice Pharaoh does this before any of this stuff comes to be. Why? Because he sees in Joseph one who reflects the glory of the living God. Why? Because in his suffering, he remains faithful. I mean, this is Pharaoh's first encounter with one who just hours before was in a dungeon with shackles around his wrist and around his ankles and around his very neck. He's cleaned up, but he probably bears those scars as he's standing before him. And this is not one who stands before Pharaoh with a great family name in Egypt. This is one who's a slave. Pharaoh has no worldly reason to believe anything he says, but he sees the power of God in his life, and he recognizes that. And what I think Pharaoh sees is the story that Scripture tells. That the power of God is not on display by God removing suffering. That the power of God is greatly enhanced on display when God allows His people to suffer and they praise Him through it. And the greatest picture of that, friends, is the cross of Jesus. Because there on the cross of Jesus, you've got the God-man, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, who was there in the beginning and spoke everything into creation. On the cross, and what do people say? 
The crowds walk by, the scripture says, and they look to Jesus on the cross and they say, if you're really Him, save yourself. Show us your power. You'll show us your power by getting off that cross. The thief beside Him says what? If you're really Him, show us your power. Save yourself. And by the way, save us too. They think the power of God will be seen by Jesus saving Himself. And yet the Gospel tells us the power of God is not seen by Jesus getting off the cross. The power of God is seen by Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. That's the power. The power is seen as He suffers. And friends... God shows His power that way today. Now I realize that's not a... All right. <laughs> Yay. Let's suffer. Now I realize we're, we're probably not going to fill our prayer request with, man, I just uh, I pray that Pastor Richard suffers greatly this week for the glory of God. <laughs> Pastor, it's good to see you. Well, it's good to see you. And I've been praying for you to suffer. Well, thank you for praying for me to suffer. But God does something through our suffering. That he doesn't do through anything else. And there's his glory seen through it. And that's why we read in 1 Corinthians 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. To people who are dying, to sinners, the cross doesn't make any sense. Where's the power in somebody dying? The power is if he gets off, right? Doesn't make sense to him. But the scripture says, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We recognize the power of God in the suffering of Jesus. And so God tells us we have this unique opportunity, along with Joseph, along with many people, to suffer for the glory of God and to actually have joy in it. James says, chapter 1, verses 2-4, through four, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That, it may be, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That, that Scripture tells us something. That when we suffer, we're to have joy. And not because we pretend we're not suffering. And not because we say, oh, it's not that bad. But that in our suffering, we recognize that a holy and awesome God is doing something in our life through it for His glory. And here's the application of that, friend, for you and for me. We need to stop Wishing our suffering away. We need to stop avoiding dealing with our suffering. We need to stop spending so much time trying to pray ourselves out of it, get ourselves out of it, pay, pray, do whatever we can to get around it, numb ourselves from it. And we need to stop and recognize, Lord, what are you doing through this? God, is there purpose in this? And I believe the Scripture would say there is. And what is that? Well, I believe that's where this text takes us. That The purpose of that is that we might be faithful and that through that faithfulness, God will bring fruitfulness. Point two. Faithfulness and suffering produces fruitfulness in the believer's life. We see here in verse 46 this reminder that Joseph was 30 years old. And we know that, that Moses is writing Genesis under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The question comes then, alright Moses, why, why is God's Spirit directing you here to remind us how old Joseph is? I think it's perhaps to show us 
that there have been years that have passed, 13 to be exact, that Joseph has suffered greatly. And now, as he's persevered, as he's endured, as he's grown in his faithfulness, God is bringing fruitfulness. We see it in the naming of his very children as as these things come to pass that God has put before him and he's married and he has a son named Manasseh and he doesn't name his son like his mother named him. <laughs> he doesn't hold up Manasseh and say, ah, maybe we'll have another. <laughs> he looks at Manasseh and what does he say? His very name Manasseh means God has made me forget all my hardships in all my father's house. And saying this, I don't think Joseph is saying that he literally can't remember those things. What he's saying is this. Seeing the plan of God unfold before him. Seeing the glory of God on display all around him. Brings everything into the light of God's plan and God's glory. And in light of those things, these are not to be worried about or fretted about or concerned about anymore. God had a purpose for it. We see that in the naming of a second son, Ephraim. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Does he remember that affliction? Absolutely. That's what brought him there. But God has brought blessing in his life now. And notice this was not blessing that came quickly or without pain. There are many today who would say that's how blessing should come. Who would say that if we just have enough faith, God will remove the suffering. Those who would, might, might look at Joseph in prison and say, well, well, Joseph, those aren't chains, those are opportunities. <laughs> I think Joseph would say, no, they're chains. <laughs> they hurt. So we can't just think our way out of suffering or believe ourselves out of suffering. We need to stop and recognize God has purpose for it and in the midst of it, to have faith in Him and trust in Him. Understanding that the Scripture gives us no promise No guarantee that one day we will stand as Joseph stood before Pharaoh. The Scripture does not promise us that one day, this side of eternity, that we'll stand there with the chains off and hold up a child and say, well, it all makes sense now. Scripture doesn't give us a magic number. (laughs) Don't go home and figure out 13 years. Okay, that's when it ends. (laughs) But what the Scripture says is that there is a day when the chains are gone. There is a day when we're out of the pit. There is a day when it all comes together and it's all making sense and there's fruitfulness. And that day is a new heaven and a new earth. And God uses suffering in our life, friend, that we might look towards that day. Because we are far too easily swayed and pleased with this world. And left to ourselves... We think that this is it. And so we make foolish statements about, I can't imagine how anything can be better than this. I can. And when you suffer, you can too. When I was a teenager, my family lived in uh, the coast of North Carolina. And on the coast, my friends and I oftentimes, especially in the summers, we would, we would get in boats and we'd play in the water. And if days were calm in the ocean, we'd go out in the ocean. And we'd just play around. We'd be out there maybe a mile off the coast and just having fun, not concerned about anything. But I can remember one specific day when we were doing that, that as we were playing and we were having fun, one of my friends just looked behind us. And behind us, away from the shore, there there was this massive, dark wall of clouds coming our direction. 
And at that moment, when we all saw it, we all were thinking the same thing. Let's go home. Let's turn this boat towards shore and go that way. Because we don't want to be sitting here when that gets to us. And friend, God uses storms and suffering in our life in that way. That when they are coming, when they are there, when we're in them, that we might look and say, this is not home, that is my home, and that's where I want to go. And that's where I want to look, and that's what I want to see. And that's a new heaven and a new earth, and that's where we're to focus. Not on the day that we might stand before Pharaoh and he removes the chains, but the day we stand before our Lord God and King Jesus Christ, and we recognize what He has endured on our behalf, and it all makes sense. And God uses suffering in our life to remind us this isn't it. We're not home yet. And if you feel like you are, you're not. And God will put things in our life to remind us of that. And so you may have a good marriage, but you're not going to have a perfect marriage because we're this side of eternity. And you're going to struggle. And that person's going to struggle. And that's a reminder that one day we don't struggle anymore. You're going to go to the doctor. And you're going to get in the car. And you're going to wonder, where did that come from? You're going to get a phone call that you weren't expecting to get. Where you might drop the phone in unbelief. And God uses those things in our life to remind us, friend, we are not home yet. He's to put that there that we might long for something better. In these recent weeks, as we've experienced this uh, series of surgeries with our daughter Caroline, for those of you who don't know, our seven-year-old daughter's gone through an intense surgery recently. She was born with a rare syndrome. Caroline's had, I've lost count, 25, 30 surgeries at this point. And each time one comes up like this, people ask us the same thing. Is, Is this it? Is this the last one? And I appreciate that, and I wish it was, but I can honestly say probably not. Caroline has a syndrome that means she's going to need doctors and surgeries and things for, for a long time. And as we've looked to her and we've seen that and God's used it in our life, he just reminds me all the time through my daughter that Caroline bears her scars on the outside. But friends, none, none of us are right either. <laughs> None of us are fixed. And no job, no paycheck, no relationship is going to put you in a place where you go, okay, I'm done now, I'm good now. See, deep down, you're always going to be wanting something else. And God's put that there for a reason. To remind you, this this isn't it. And whether it's suffering or calamity or death, whatever it is, those things are to, to pull us to a point where we look heavenward, where we look homeward, and we see... God, you've got a purpose for this in my life. And so what are we to do with that? What are we to do with that knowledge between this day and the day He takes us home? Well, point three, the last point in your notes there. Is the faithful believer who suffered is a blessing to others. That's what we are to do with it. And that's what we're to recognize through it. That God has a plan for us. And that plan is that we might bless others. We see here a blessing to others in Joseph because as all these things come to fruition, as there's years of plenty and years of famine, Joseph now is in a position 
He's in a position of authority through which he can be a blessing, not just to Egypt, but to all the nations around them. This famine sweeps the planet. And it sweeps all the way over to the family of a man named Jacob. And that's going to bring Jacob and his family back to Joseph. And that's going to be an amazing thing as we study it and look forward to it to see how God does all that. But for now, I want you to recognize this. God uses Joseph's suffering that he might be faithful in it. And as he is faithful in it, he uses his suffering to be a blessing to others. Without Joseph's suffering, a nation perishes. Think of that. Could it be that God is using your suffering in your life today, not just to refine you, but to bless others? That that perhaps He's allowed you to go through it that you might be a blessing to others. Again, chief example of this is Jesus on the cross who suffers for what? For us that we might live. And in our suffering, as we reflect the glory of God, as we think heavenward, God uses us then to, to bless other people because we give God glory in the midst of that. We, we point them heavenward in the midst of it. See, I, I've not had many people sit in my office or sit across the table from me and say, you know, I, uh, I was just overwhelmed one night as I was watching an award ceremony and I saw this millionaire uh, uh, singer thank God for an award and I just thought, man, God's got to exist. I, I've never had that happen. But I'll tell you what I have had happen. I've had people sit across from me and say, you know what, I, I, I've been watching so-and-so and, and I've seen all the stuff they've gone through. I can't imagine what it's like to go through what they've gone through. And yet in the midst of that, they keep thanking Jesus. And they keep praising God. And as I watch that, I've had to ask myself, does God exist? Because certainly something is happening here for this person to praise Him so much when everything's falling apart. See, that's the testimony of how God uses suffering to be a blessing to others. And what that means is not only do we need to stop wishing our suffering away, but friend, we need to start praising God in the midst of our suffering. Now, I'll be honest with you. A lot of us aren't real good at that. <laughs> a lot of us have become so prone to just complaining about everything that we've forgotten what it means to thank God when things don't go well. A lot of us, for those of you who are parents and your kids watch a or you've seen Winnie the Pooh, you'll identify with this. There's the character on Winnie the Pooh of Eeyore. There's a lot of Eeyores in the church today. How are things going? Eh, not so well. Well, what's wrong? Eh, everything. How are you feeling? Terrible. And just everything you ask them, it's all over. It's the end. Well, what does that reflect, friends? It certainly doesn't speak well of the glory of God. It basically says that we are here for our own comfort. And when we lose that comfort, we're going to share about it and we're going to complain about it and we're going to whine about it until somebody gets so annoyed with us that they try to do something to fix it. And that's anti-gospel. Because the gospel says to us, in the pit, in the bottom, when it all falls apart, we're we're not to pretend that we're not suffering. We're, We're not to make light of it and say it doesn't matter. We're to say, you know what? I lost my job. Praise Jesus. 
You know what? I went to the doctor today and he said, I'm going to die. News for you, all of us, we are going to die. Praise Jesus. I found out this bad thing and this terrible thing. But you know what? In my home anyways, praise Jesus. See, God has a purpose for this suffering. And part of it is that He might share His glory with others. Because at the end of the day, friends, we need to be focused on Him and on that and not on ourselves. And maybe that suffering is a little bit more intense for us because we're holding on so tightly to the things of this world. My encouragement to you would be this. Have a loose grip. It'll hurt less. And as it goes, praise God and thank Him. And remember what we started out this service reading. The words of the psalmist in Psalm 95 who says, For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. Notice the psalmist does not say, Well, my health's failing. (laughs) Well, I'm struggling in my relationships, but I guess God's okay. Well, things aren't quite working out like I thought they were. No, the psalmist says what we should say regardless of our circumstance. The Lord is a great God. Are you suffering today? Am I suffering today? The Lord is a great God. Are your relationships strained? Is your marriage suffering? The Lord is a great God. Are you getting to a point in the morning where you don't want to get out of bed because you've got to deal with just all this mess? Guess what? The Lord is a great God. And He is still the King on the throne. And He will reign forever. Whether we want to complain about things or we want to praise Him. And I hope we'll be a people that will praise Him. And I hope for you, if you're on the other side of suffering, that you'll see how God might use you and what you've gone through for His glory. And I hope for you, if you've not seen it yet, when the bottom drops out, that you'll remember His word and you'll remember His call to praise Him. Because as the psalmist says, in His hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it. And his hands form the dry land. So don't be so worried about your job. Don't be so worried about those relationships. Don't be so worried about the bills. Don't be so worried about tomorrow. Praise him no matter what. If you would pray that with me now. Father, we thank you that you're the God above all gods. You're the king above all kings. And Lord, I confess the tendency of my own heart is to complain and to fret and to worry. Lord, it's to look at suffering and to to get frustrated with it. It's to to worry, to be anxious. And yet, Lord, I'm reminded from Your Word as I read as I study it that You've got a purpose for it. You've got a purpose in my life. You've got a purpose in the life of every person here. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray for those who perhaps they're suffering with something right now and they're so overwhelmed and they're so concerned it's hard for them to hear The words, praise God. Lord, I pray that you might overwhelm them with your spirit, that they might praise you. Lord, I pray for those who perhaps their focus has become rather internal and on their own wants and needs and thoughts, Lord, that we might see that our life is not just about us, it's to be a blessing to others. And that we might see in one who suffered greatly, Joseph, how he was a blessing to the nations, which ultimately points us to Jesus who suffered for the nations, that we might see our suffering in light of the call to reach the nations. Lord, would you help us as we sing? Would you help us as we respond, Lord, to to just stop and consider your word and, and your call on our life? 
We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.